which is a series, as I'm sure you know by now, looking at some of the really tough questions that the world is asking and, and giving some input as to how we can answer these questions from a Christian perspective. Can you all hear me okay now? Yes, fine, fantastic. Now, this morning I have the privilege, but also for me the huge challenge of sharing with you around the whole subject of truth. What is truth? And how can we know truth? How do we test what is true? And it's a challenge for me because we have a very short time span together here this morning to unpack what is really a hugely philosophical and abstract discussion. Um, But it is also one of the most important questions in apologetics. Now, for those who are unfamiliar with this term, apologetics can really just be simply defined as the defense of the Christian faith. And perhaps the key verse for, for Christian apologetics can be found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, which says, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. And there's really no excuse for us as Christians to be completely you know, unable to defend our faith. You know, all of us as followers of Jesus Christ should be able to give a reasonable explanation of our faith in Jesus Christ. Not every one of us needs to be an expert in apologetics, and I certainly don't consider myself one, but all of us as followers of Jesus, we should know what we believe, why we believe that, and how we can share our faith with others. And it's also very important for us to know how to defend what we believe against lies and attacks. And there are many Christian apologists who have done an incredible job in this area, and you will find a wealth of wisdom and practical insights about the truth of Christianity from these men and women. So all the insights that I'm going to share with you today are drawn from their work and their wisdom on the subject and I just want to give you some names of a, a few names that I can recommend if you're wanting to sort of go deeper into apologetics. Names like Ravi Zacharias, Tim Keller, C.S. Lewis, and Josh McDowell. But I want to today just try to um, summarize for you, really, their insight in as simple and succinct manner as is possible in the little time frame we've been given. So now getting back to the topic at hand, truth. I think most arguments between Christians and non-Christians today eventually come down to this point of truth. And that is why it's really such an important subject for us to address together. I think we'd all be very aware that a common viewpoint today is that there is no such thing as objective or absolute truth. There's only subjective truth or what is true for me type of truth. And in the face of such a worldview, the claims that we make as followers of Jesus that everyone should believe the Christian message, it does sound extremely arrogant and just plain wrong. And we'll often hear this viewpoint expressed to us in statements such as, you know, what you say may be true for you, but it's not true for me. Or, you know, what rights do you have to impose your beliefs upon me? Or, you know, really, you are just being judgmental. Now, friends, the biblical view of truth, it is offensive to the worldview of today. It is an exclusive viewpoint. And from that point, it is actually judgmental. 
certainly is, is reactionary. But our biblical viewpoint is still appropriate for this time. In fact, it is absolutely urgent for today, even for those who reject it. And to better equip us to be truth carriers who others want to hear from, I just want to share with you the following today. Just first of all, some definitions so we can understand what we're talking about. Then a bit of history around the progression of thought around truth through the ages. Why truth really matters to us. Some problems with the relativist view of truth. And then just to end off in the most important thing, you know, what we really believe about truth and, and really making it a bit practical for us as we leave here. So starting off, first of all, with some definitions. What do we mean by the terms absolute truth or relative or subjective truth? Well, first of all, absolute truth. Absolute or objective truth is truth which is true for everyone, whether or not they realize it. Truth which is true for everyone, whether or not they realize it. Then relative truth is the belief that knowledge, actually it's relative. That knowing it's not an independence or um, an objective activity that is free from personal bias, but it's one that's shaped by the person doing the knowing. It's shaped through language, through experience, through personal agendas, through culture, through biology, through um, our place in history, and, and so forth. And there is some truth here in the sense that who we are, it does impact what we know and, and how we think. And we do perceive things differently. For example, what I might perceive as a really hot, hot curry would be for Roland Cohen, who is our youth pastor, you know, a mildly spicy stew. Um, what I would perceive as, you know, an acceptably warm cup of coffee to drink would be for most other individuals, but particularly my husband, a scaldingly hot, straight to the emergency room kind of cup of, of coffee. What I consider to be, um, you know, a lovely cooling breeze here in Cape Town is to my family from KwaZulu-Natal, a, a, a howling gale, you know, fit to keep you indoors forever. But it is, you know, it's one thing to, to observe the sort of the relative nature of, of human knowledge and then to make this huge big flying leap to, to denying that absolute truth exists. Now just some history around what we've thought about truth through the ages. You know, historical Western thought has traditionally been dominated by one concept of truth which sort of predominated from Plato, which is, we're talking, you know, 400 years even before Christ was born until the 20th century. And in this traditional concept, truth was something that was objective. Truth was something outside of us and independent of us. Truth was universal. It was same the, the world over. And truth was eternal. In other words, if it is true today, it will always be true. Truth was seen as intelligible. It was something that we as human beings are able to discover, able to comprehend, and able to know. And this whole holistic approach of, of Greek thought was paralleled also in the Hebrew worldview, which was largely adopted by early Christianity. And in Hebrew thought, truth is essentially a God-centered concept. Truth exists because God exists and God is true. His nature is dependable. His ways are true. His words are trustworthy. And so truth then is more than just correct propositions. It's also something that we do. 
truth that is not lived is not truth. It cannot be separated from things like goodness, from justice, from right living. Because truth is rooted in God, it is something that is personal, it is something that is dynamic. Now, Augustine, who was one of the early church fathers, born sort of in around 354, he merged the, the Platonist and the Christian traditions in his Christian philosophies. And this dominated many medieval thinking throughout the West. And he said, truth, which is objective and to be located in God, is one. Some truths are given by God through revelation in Jesus Christ and in the scriptures. Other truths we discover for ourselves. Even though, he said, we probably do need an element of sort of divine illumination in those. So, so Augustine really stressed the significance of the role of God in all of our knowing. Now, building in Augustine in the Middle Ages, we're talking, you know, from the 5th century onwards to about the 15th century, they're thinking then it really retained a stable framework of, of God-given and rationally, rationally justifiable truth. But towards the end of this period, we see a significant shift beginning to take place. And, you know, later medieval thinkers, they began to stress the role of human reason and the fact that there is a lot of truth that we can discover without any intervention from God. And the role as, as of God as the basis for truth began to be eroded now. And the humanism of the Renaissance, sort of from the 14th century onwards, with its real, you know, confidence in, in human reason, it's really set the stage for the Enlightenment, which made the test of truth reason. So reason became the test of truth for everything. And the modernist view of truth was that truth can be discovered by logic and by reason. So while the removal of God as the source and the basis of truth, it wasn't like a deliberate policy of Enlightenment thinkers this was very much where the tide began to flow. And by the 19th century, the concept of objective truth, something which is outside of us that we discover and we submit to, it was now being severely, severely eroded. And all of this opened up the way for the relativism of the postmodern era that we are just so familiar with today. And the thinking became that we have a hand in creating truth. That rather than truth shaping us, we shape truth. The truth is not out there, but it is in the thinking individual. That truth is not objective, but it is subjective, it is relative. It is a product of a person's culture. And the postmodern viewpoint operates very much within a community-based understanding of truth. Whatever we accept as truth, and even the way we envisage truth, it's dependent on the community with which we participate. Now you can imagine how the consequences of such a worldview can be extremely destructive. And in fact, many, many years ago, C.S. Lewis, who many of you know is a, uh, a British novelist, a poet, and a very famous Christian apologist, he addressed what he called the poison of subjectivism. And he said the following... And I think the quote is up there, if truth is objective, if we live in a world that we did not create and we cannot change merely by thinking, if the world is not really a dream of our own, then the most destructive belief that we can possibly believe would be the denial of this primary fact. 
It would be like closing our eyes while driving or blissfully ignoring the doctor's warnings. Now, I think it's very really helpful for us just to you know, understand a bit of this progression of thought around truth through the ages. But it is also very important, I think, for us to be able to, in this time and in this place, discern you know, what is happening in the world now beyond just what the eye can see. You know, what are some of the spiritual dynamics that are at work in our world today, in our community today, that are influencing people to so easily embrace this mindset of truth being relative? I think the desire to be accepted, you know, and to be seen to be really with it is a very, it's a primary source of subjectivism for many people today. People want to fit in. They don't want to be seen as standing out to be, to be different. And, and when they do stand out, they prefer to fit in sort of an anti-establishment kind of way. But people very much would hate to be seen as being the old-fashioned sort of boring sorts. And there very much is a, a thinking today that you know, people are really afraid of radical change. And a lot of people, believe it or not, are, are terrified of, of even you know, any sort of conversion experience where they have to dedicate their whole life and their, their whole will to, to God's will. Because you see the spirit of materialism, of consumerism, of greed, of lust, the spirits of our age are all far better supported by a subjective view of truth than by absolute truth. Because as Ravi Zacharias said, and, and for those who don't know him, he is a Christian apologist. It's actually quite confusing. He's an Indian-born, Canadian-American Christian apologist. But he had this very insightful thing to say, which uh, resonated with me. He said, we are discomforted by the fact that truth, by definition, is exclusive. And I think that is very insightful. You know, and Absolute truth is uncomfortable, and it is challenging. And in the face of this discomfort, that is why I think it's so important for us this morning to, to really you know, discuss together why truth is so crucial and why truth matters. Now, in 2010, many of you will remember, was our, our Soccer World Cup, and you know, a lot of exciting things happened in our city around that. What many of you might not remember from 2010 is that the Lausanne Conference was held here in Cape Town, now, the Lausanne movement is a global movement, um, and it's a sort of a, a movement of sort of global evangelization, and their stated vision is that the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. And they all gathered together from all over the world, met here in Cape Town in 2010. And at this conference, a, a gentleman called Oz Guinness, who is a senior, senior fellow of the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics, he gave an address at this, this key, key conference on on why truth matters. I just want to share just some of his reasons why it's so important for us as followers of Jesus Christ to have a high view when it comes to truth and why that matters to us. And one of the first things he said was that only a high view of truth honors the God of truth. Because truth often is left to be this philosophical issue. And he says, you know, philosophical issues, they are important to us, but truth is first and foremost a matter of theology. Because not only is our Lord the God who is actually, objectively, really and truly there, but our God is also the true one in the sense that he is the one whose covenant loyalty with each one of us can be trusted 
and the entire weight of our existence we stake on him. And so if we weaken our hold on truth, we actually weaken our hold on God. And then secondly, only a high view of truth reflects how we come to know and to love God. Because Jesus is the only way to God. And the record of scripture, the experience of the centuries has shown us that you know, we come to faith in Christ because we're driven by our, our, our human needs. We come to faith in Jesus Christ because he seeks for us and he finds us. And we come to faith in Jesus Christ because we believe his claims and that the claims of the gospel are true. And it's because of truth that our faith in God is not irrational. It's not an emotional crutch to us. It is not, as some would say, the opiate for the masses. Our faith goes beyond reason because we as human beings are more than just reason. But our faith, it is a warranted faith because we have this firm, clear conviction that it is true. We are those who we think in our believing, but we also believe in thinking. And then only a high view of truth, actually, he says, will empower our very best human enterprises. Because without truth, science and, and all human knowledge will just collapse into conjecture. Without truth, Professions, professions like journalism and, and following the events of our day and understanding the signs of our time, they just dissolve then into rumors. Without truth, the precious gift of human reason and freedom becomes license. And all of our human relationships will lose that, that uniting and bonding element of, of trust that unites us all at a heart level. And that is why we, as followers of Jesus Christ, he said, must be unashamed to stand before the world as servants and guardians of a high view of truth. And we do this both for our Lord's sake, but also for the highest endeavors of humanity. And then the last point I want to share from his address there is that only a high view of truth is going to be sufficient for combating evil and hypocrisy. Because postmodern thinking, it makes us all aware of hypocrisy, but it gives no standard of truth to be able to expose it and to correct it. And now, in our world today, where we have this global expansion of markets through capitalism, there's this global expansion of freedom through technology, through being able to travel anywhere and everywhere, and the, sadly, global expansion of human dysfunctions through the breakdown of the family, we are facing, I think, one of the greatest human crises of all time. And it's the perfect storm, in a sense, for evil. Both hypocrisy and evil depend on lies. Hypocrisy is really, it's a, it's a lie in our actions rather than in words. And evil will always use lies to cover its oppressions. And it is only with truth that we can stand up to deception. And it is only with truth that we can stand up to manipulation. And so for all who hate hypocrisy, who, for all who care for justice, for, for human dignity, and for all who are prepared to fight evil, truth is going to be the absolute requirement. And with that in mind, you know, what are some of the problems that there are with this relativist view of truth that so many are embracing? Well, first of all, there is a 
logical inconsistency in the claim that there is no such thing as absolute truth. Because the claim itself is stating an absolute truth. There is no such thing as truth. So to be disbelieve the truth is self-contradictory because to believe means to think that something is true. So first of all, a logical inconsistency in the claims that there is no such thing as absolute truth. And then there's also a logical inconsistency in saying that all truth claims are equally valid because some truth claims are contradictory. I mean, Brad addressed this a bit when he was sharing with us around um, Jesus being the only way and, and how our faith compares to other faiths. And, you know, Christians believe that there is one God in Trinity and that Jesus Christ is Lord. Muslims believe that Allah is God and that Jesus is just a prophet. Buddhists don't really believe in, in any gods and Hindus believe in one God with many manifestations, but Jesus is not amongst them. So with all these very sincerely held beliefs, they can't all be right. They can't all be right and equally valid. They might all be wrong, or one might be right. But they cannot all be right. But even with this logic, it still seems intolerant to so many people these days to claim that faith in Jesus Christ is the only true faith. Norman Geisler, a Christian theologian and philosopher, said this, if truth is relative, then no one is ever wrong, even when they are. As long as something is true to me, then I am right, even if I am wrong. And the drawback is that I can never learn anything either, because learning, it's moving from a false belief to a true one. That is, from an absolutely false belief to an absolutely true one. And then another problem is that there is a moral inconsistency, because relativism it's, it's really, it's unworkable and it's unlivable. Because if there is no objective right and wrong, and each person decides their own truth and morality, how can one person judge or limit any other person's actions? How can we say that the Las Vegas massacre was wrong or evil? How can we object to our, our homes being broken into, or our cars being stolen, or an unfair dismissal from our jobs? We cannot if we believe that the other person's truth is equally valid to our own. So when it comes to justice and when it comes to our rights, everyone actually believes in right and wrong and in absolute truth. And a person wouldn't realistically be able to function long in this world if they consistently acted on the belief that truth was subjective rather than objective. Like to illustrate this, you know, your bank account could have money to you, but if it doesn't have money according to the bank, those debit orders are still going to bounce. Uh, a car might be standing still to you, but if it's moving according to the driver of that car, you're going to be hit and, and potentially seriously injured there. You know, if we want to function effectively and, and live in this world, truth's objective correspondence to reality, it's got to matter in some sense. And even more dangerous is when people live by this subjective view of truth when it comes to moral issues. Author Dennis McCullum wrote a book called The Death of Truth, and he, he shared about this. He said, a panel of 19 experts appointed by the National Institutes of Health 
recommended that federal funding be used for producing and harvesting and destroying fetuses for laboratory experimentation. The panel's reasoning is that personhood is a social construct. Human beings, in other words, they aren't born, but they are defined. Cultural consensus defines reality. What happens, however, when culture decides that a certain race or gender is non-human and that non-humans are targeted for extinction? If reality is culture-bound, it would be an act of imperialism for another culture to then intervene. Without an absolute standard, there is no basis for judging a Nazi or misogynist any more than there is for defining a human life. So friends, that is why it is so important what we believe about truth. And there are many religious systems that will provide moral codes or, or standards for their followers, but the Bible, we believe, presents a unique view of truth. And in the New Testament, Jesus was asked, what is truth? By Pilate, the very man who approved his death. I find it so ironic that, that Pilate asked this question, and when he asked this question, he was looking into the eyes of the one who said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. What are some things that we believe about truth? And there's so many things I could share with you here because truth is just so rich and so dimensional there. But I just want to share with you just seven key beliefs around truth that we believe. First one, we believe that truth does have its origin and foundation in God and that God is the creator and is the upholder of the universe and that we are not the center of the universe through which everything revolves. We believe that God... Because God is perfect, God is Father, Son, is Holy Spirit, because God is perfect, what he says is true. This includes the scriptures, which we are called um, God-breathed or inspired by God, and the trustworthiness of truth for us is assured because God is true. God is a God who speaks truth. So in the scriptures, he has chosen to give us a truth is truth in a form that we can, we can grasp it in our minds. You know, in the scriptures, God speaks in words, and, and we find facts, and, and on the basis of these, we, we build our doctrines. So God has given us minds which we can use to evaluate the evidence of his revelation of himself. But truth in the Bible is also so much bigger than just this, you know, rational demonstrations Receiving the truth is so much more than just an intellectual exercise. And that's why it comes to our third belief. We believe that the ultimate expression of truth is found in the person of Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the, love, the life. Many systems of truth or morality exist, yet only Jesus Christ claimed to be truth and proved it to us by his resurrection from the dead. And a look at history explains why he was who he claimed to be, and why so many follow him today. And if we look at a comparison of his teachings with all other claimants to sort of prophetic status or, or divine status, they quickly show that there is a profound difference in their claims and demonstrations and that of Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus Christ alone, as Brad reminded us, they claimed to be the divine saviour. And his offer of grace, 
His offer of forgiveness by being the perfect sacrifice for our sins is profoundly unique. Jesus is, we believe, the ultimate source of truth and hope. And we know that we need to meet Jesus Christ who is the way and the truth and life. And that an encounter with, with Jesus Christ will be a truth encounter that will impact our whole person and not just our minds. We believe that those who seek Jesus will find him and the truth they find will set them free. Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We believe that God in his grace has enabled us to know truth. That we have the capacity to learn God's truth from the world around us and to receive it by revelation through the scriptures and the Holy Spirit. And we do believe that absolute truth does exist and that no other option is really adequate. And the last thing I just want to share around this is that we believe that we not just to believe the truth or to know and defend the truth, but we are to so live in truth that truth becomes a part of our very innermost being that in, in some way, and, and yes, it's going to be an imperfect way, but in some way we become people of truth. And so just some thoughts in closing around that too. We have this wonderful, wonderful privilege in this postmodern world of, of presenting truth in all of its richness. It's not just something that has to be narrowly defined to people. God has put enough in this world to, to make faith in him a most reasonable thing. But he's also left enough out to make it impossible to live by, by sheer reason alone. Faith and reason must work together. And where we find those who are willing to listen to reason arguments, I, I believe we can seek to explain why our approach to truth provides uh, a more satisfactory, a more coherent explanation of what we actually find in the world than, than other, theories to, other theories do. But in taking us back to that scripture, I began with from 1 Peter 3, verse 14 to 16. It says this, even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Friends, we are going to suffer for being people who choose to stand for truth and express this view of truth. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be afraid. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. And always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But how do we do this? For those who ask and who want to know and we can have these great conversations with, it says do it with gentleness, do it with respect, always keeping a clear conscience. There's so much in that for us about how crucial our attitudes are when we are sharing truth with others around us. And how we've got to keep foremost in our minds that we are never seeking to win arguments, but we are seeking to win people for the Lord. Ravi Zacharias has a great quote that I, I want to show you there. And he says, Truth that is not undergirded by love, it makes that truth obnoxious and the possessor of it repulsive. That's quite harsh words, but I think it, it echoes how crucial that right attitude is and how truth has to be undergirded 
firmly undergirded by love. And just going back to that scripture, it says to do this with gentleness, with respect, keeping a clear conscience. Well, I don't know about you, but the only way I'm ever going to be able to consistently do that is if I am consistently a woman of prayer. Because prayer is going to be absolutely critical to enable us to be people who are consistently gentle, consistently respectful, and truly, before God, able to keep a clear conscience. Because God, friends, is the only one who's going to be able to soften the hearts of others to receive the truth. There's going to be no fantastic, eloquent expression that you can give um, that is ever going to be able to replace the vital need and, and the vital role of the Holy Spirit going before you and preparing people's spiritual ears to be unblocked and open to hearing the truth, their hearts to be receptive ground for that, that, the truth to find root. And so prayer is going to be absolutely, absolutely critical for us. So in sharing like this, that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ, those who speak maliciously about your stand for truth and belittle your beliefs, they may be ashamed of their slander. And we can leave it up to the Lord to do that for them. That's not something we have to fight for do. We can leave that in the, the, the hands of the Holy Spirit. There will be many others, though, in these times who are going to respond to truth with their hearts. Because although the scriptures speak often about the, the mind, do you know that there are five times more references, a number of references to the heart as they are to the mind. God loves to speak to people on a heart-to-heart kind of level. And a desperate world today needs to be able to experience the reality of, of Christ in us, his people. And one of our greatest tools of, of being able to um, be truth carriers and, and express truth and communicate truth to a desperate world is going to be us imaging Christ as the truth to those we live in community with. We call to follow the way of Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Truth needs to be such a, a core characteristic of, of what we are as Christ, you know, Christian communities, um, who we are as, as Connect Church. It must be such a key part of our, our, the, the sort of Christian image and, the, and the, the church image that we give to the world that people will know us as people of truth. And that is what we need to do, to humbly seek to live as people of truth. And my prayer, our prayer, should be that as we image Christ as the truth, as we live lives that are fueled by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit within each one of us, as we live lives fueled by that, so we are going to be leading others to experience the truth. I was listening to, to this lady called Claire Smith address this issue in a study called So Many Questions, which you can get from our church resource center there. And, and she's done a PhD in, in New Testament studies and you know, does a lot of ministry. But she just said the following thing, and I just thought it was a lovely way for us to end off today. Um, just asking these questions. She said, the real question is, is Jesus right? Is he right when he says that he is the only one who can deal with people's sins? Is he right when he claims to be the only way that people can be reconciled to God? Because if Jesus is right, that is not arrogance or intolerance. That is truth that everybody needs 
to hear. And I close with that because I think it says so beautifully the heart of what we are wanting to convey to the world around us. Not arrogance, not intolerance, but that our hearts are so moved by the desperate need that people have to encounter truth, that we want to share this truth because it is a truth that everybody needs to hear. So may you leave here today fueled with this compassionate passion to be truth carriers and to stand for the truth in all that you are and in all that you do. Let's just close in prayer together. Father, in our hearts, Lord, in fact, in this nation, we are praying for an awakening. Holy Spirit, we desire more than anything just an awakening to you. For you and for you alone, we are praying for an awakening in our city, in our communities, in our families. But we so desire to see your kingdom come, your will be done in the world around us. Lord, you know this is a world that you, we know this is a world that you love, filled with people that you love and that you are so desperate to encounter. And so, Father, we pray that in these moments, in these, these hours, in this time in our history, Lord, that you would just enable us to be people moved with sub, such deep compassion and love for others that we are incredibly gracious and respectful and gentle carriers of truth, but that also, Father, we are unswerving and, and deeply committed in our stand for truth. So, Lord, we want to just pray for your incredible enabling, anointing, and grace to be able to speak your truth in a way that is honoring to you and just speaks directly to the hearts and minds of those that we are communicating with. Father, we know that a desperate world desperately needs a truth encounter with you as Lord and Savior. And so, Lord, do what it takes in each one of our own lives personally to make us actively be working with you in order for this to happen. And that might look like different things for the different people here. So, Lord, I pray that you would just individually speak to us um, that which that we need to hear from you today. For some of us, Lord, that might need to be a time of just coming before you in repentance, acknowledging our compromise with truth and a, a real heart of turning back to you as the only way, the truth, and the life. And where that is so, Father, I just pray that you give us the strength and the courage to be honest with you and ourselves around that. Lord, for others, it might mean that, that you are calling us to, to be able to share our truth with others in a way that is deeply meaningful and where we need to better equip ourselves for that, Lord, lead us and, and help us to be able to articulate clearly that which we believe. But for all of us, Father, I pray that you bring us to our knees and, and remind us how crucial it is that each one of us are people of prayer and that we are constantly engaged with bringing before you those around us that we love, that we know, that we engage with on a day-to-day -day basis, and, and the strangers that we bump into our community as well, Lord. And that you would give us a passion for praying 
for hearts to be transformed by your truth, that we would so lay the spiritual foundation for a truth revelation that it just becomes so easy for truth to be expressed in, in this place. We particularly just pray that over Musenberg, Father, just for an outwashing of your truth and that there be fertile and, and receptive soils to be able to receive that. And in all things, Father, we want to pray that you would be honored, that you would be glorified. And to do that, we just pray that you would give us the grace to be people of truth and to reflect your truth adequately and appropriately in our own lives too, Lord. And only you can do that in us and through us. And so we submit ourselves anew and afresh to you. Thank you that you are our Lord. Thank you that you are our Savior. Thank you for all you have done in each of our lives, we honor you and we worship you as the only true God. And in your powerful and mighty name, we pray this. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Shelley.